You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Well, good morning and uh, Merry Christmas to you. Uh, Let's take our Bibles together this morning and turn to John chapter 1. We're going to finish up our uh, mini-series, our Christmas series, We Call Him Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light which enlightened everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth." Hey, I don't know about you, but it's hard to believe that 2014 is just about over. Um, it seemed like I blinked and it was gone. And, uh, and a new year is ahead of us. Um, and all kinds of opportunities, should the Lord tarry, to uh, be faithful to him and live out for him and bring glory to God in our lives. And uh, we look forward to what God is going to do in our church, believing him for more. We look forward to uh, what God is going to do in our lives as we grow up in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, as we finish our series and finish this year, I want us to kind of focus in on three things. It's a, it's a great opportunity for us to stop and remember and look back and see how we've handled some things and maybe not handled some things, but then also a great opportunity for a fresh start. Uh, we serve a God who's a God of a new start and a new beginning, and that's an amazing hope for us. And so as we uh, set the table for 2015, there are three things in this message I would like to see us accomplish. First of all is to stop and remember to get Jesus right. If we get Jesus wrong, we get it all wrong. You've heard me say that over and over and over again. He is the hinge pin. He is the king. He is, it's all around who Jesus is. And so I want to make sure we get who is Jesus and we get that right And then we want to take a look at our salvation and make sure that we understand that and get that right. And then we take a look at our call to surrender or our call to discipleship or our our call to follow Christ and that we get that right. And we can look at it through the lens of how we did this year and then also then turn and look forward to what a God is going to do in his church and through his church and in our lives and through our lives for his fame and his glory as uh, we move forward. So if you've got your Bibles open now, I want to encourage you to stand with me. We're going to read a few verses. I'm going to skip some verses um, as we go through uh, because the text is about uh, who is Jesus and part of John chapter 1 is about John the Baptist and the parts that are about John the Baptist I'm not going to read. That's for a different time in a a different series. This is the who is Jesus part and we start in uh, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And then down to verse 29. Uh, John speaking, or uh, this is about John. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin 
of the world. This is he whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. And then down verses 35 to 41. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Let's pray. Father, thank you again, Lord, that we can hold in our hands your very word. Um, Your word is truth. Uh, You've laid it out for us, and we have opportunity to even see in this chapter in uh, the Gospel of John the amazing story of Jesus Christ as he is revealed, as John comes to understand who he is and lays that out for us, God. Would you uh, guide us? And we call him Jesus. Father, I ask that you would uh, work in our and ourselves today, in me first, Lord, in your church, that, Lord, you would give us um, ears that we would hear and listen to your word, but, Lord, minds that would be open to understand, and, God, where we are closed or shut up, that your spirit would open us to think and understand of what your word is saying. And then, Lord, with a passion, a passion, God, to live out our lives for the fame of the one who came so we can have eternal life, Jesus Christ the Lord. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, specifically this morning, we're going to look at three verses. In the first verse, I've entitled, uh, We Call Him Jesus. It's verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's not until verse 17 is the first time that John actually mentions the name Jesus. Before that, he calls him the word, he calls him the light, he calls him the life. But here, he calls him Jesus Christ. Who was this one? Some of the names we understand about the Lord in the New Testament, one of them would be Savior. He will save his people from their sin. Uh, We're all separated from God, and we all need a Savior. And Jesus Christ is called the Savior. He's called the Christ. It means the anointed one, the one who is set apart, the holy one. He is the Christ. He is called the Lord or the King. He is the one who will fulfill uh, the covenant that was made in the Old Testament. God's promises and all of that are all pointing towards who will, the one who will come. And he is the Lord. He is the sovereign God. He is the one who is on the throne. And we call him Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sin. Uh, Jesus was a common name. Lots of people named their kid Jesus. But every other one that was named Jesus was from a group of people, a family that was looking forward to a Messiah that would come. Jehovah is 
salvation. That's what Jesus means. And finally, finally, everything that the people have been waiting for will be revealed and demonstrated and shown in this one Jesus. Jehovah is salvation. He would be despised. He would be rejected. They would turn on him. But we call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. John, although he waits till verse 17 to call him Jesus, he uses the name 237 times in the gospel. That's more than a quarter of the times the word Jesus appears in the entire New Testament. And so if you want to know about Jesus, if you're at church today, somebody invited you to come. There was a a young man here last night, a Hindu man who was here last night, and Jason introduced me to him afterwards, and I chatted with him, and he said, I'm not a believer, I'm here, but through a connection through Windsor, he'd been in school there, he was here last night, and um, he heard this message, and I said to him, "Um, just read the book of John, and ask yourself, who is Jesus, and why did he come? And what did he accomplish? We call him Jesus. You see, in the Old Testament, in verse 7, it says, for the law was given through Moses. Now, the law couldn't save you. The law was a picture of what would come and be fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of the sacrifice and all of the um, doing of the law It really just demonstrated how tied people were and how much they needed the Messiah. And the Messiah would come. And so Moses was the one who brought the law, as Moses did, and he brought it faithfully. Now, there was grace. There was grace involved with the law. God's grace was being demonstrated every time they sacrificed an animal, every time uh, they fulfilled the law. There was grace there. But under Jesus, it's going to be so different. And in John 17, again, he says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus. The grace, the gift, the finished work of Jesus Christ, it is given through Jesus Christ, the Lord. He is not a Messiah, he is the Messiah. He is not a Savior, he is the Savior. He is not a Christ, he is the Christ. He is not a Jesus, he is Jehovah is salvation. The work is complete. God has sent his son and we call him Jesus. And he will demonstrate grace and truth in a beautiful balance for us but will lead ultimately to the salvation of our souls if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. I love that just a couple of verses later, when John's writing this gospel, he says this in verse 20. Speaking of John the Baptist, he says, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. John the Baptist was not the Christ. He was the forerunner. He was the one who was kind of paving the way. He was the one who was setting the table. And he says, I am not the Christ. You go, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, so often in our lives, we act like we are the Christ. We we act like we've got it all together. We act like we have the answers for what's going on. And I just found it somewhat amusing, but good for me to remember, I am not the Christ. Now, believe me, I know I am not the Christ. Um, A funny thing happened to me this week, though, on Facebook. And uh, it's the devil's tool, I think, but it was a funny thing that happened to me. 
So one of you posted a picture of your pastor preaching right here, preaching. And above the picture in the caption were the words, we call him Jesus. One of my pastor friends saw that and said, we thought your name was Paul. <laughs> to which I responded, yeah, ha, 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 that's his theme and all the rest. And he goes, and he goes, phew. I thought maybe you weren't satisfied with the title pastor anymore. And uh, I am not the Christ. I can't change a single life in this room. And you are not the Christ. You can't save a single room person in this room or in your life. God can use you in those things. I love that uh, John went on and he said in John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. We call him Jesus. We always need to be about the magnification of the Lord Jesus Christ. He always needs to be bigger. We always need to be focusing people and ourselves on who Jesus Christ is and what he did for us and what he has accomplished. I am not the Christ. He must increase. I must decrease. We call him Jesus. In verse 29, John goes on and we see the lamb presented. Verse 29 says, For the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this was a strong world. It was like, look, sit up straight, take note. Behold, um, the word is used uh, 29 times in the New Testament. 15 of those times are by John as he's describing the Lord or the wonder of who God is and what he's doing. Behold. So as he writes this verse, as you think about this verse, as we finish 2014 and the truths that come out of this verse, behold, take note, this is an important thing you're about to hear. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lamb that God would provide as a substitute, a sacrifice. When you think of the lamb, there's a lot of descriptions that can come from it. Behold the lamb. You can think of the concept of innocence. Um, the little lamb that would be taken in the Old Testament, the spotless one that hadn't done anything wrong, was just being a lamb. And it was a spotless lamb. And it was taken and it was sacrificed as a picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ would accomplish one day. The concept of innocence. When you think of Jesus Christ as the lamb, you think of a voluntary sacrifice, a willingness to come, a willingness to let go of uh, the things that he had in heaven and come and take upon the form of a servant that the Lord Jesus Christ would come and be a voluntary sacrifice. Behold the lamb, the one who would be a substitutionary atonement for you. See, I should have been on the cross. I should have died. I should be separated from Christ. You should have been on the cross. You should have died for your sin. You should have been 
sacrificed. But the Lord Jesus Christ was a substitution for me. He stepped in on my place. He took my sin on himself. He hung on a cross so I could have eternal life. And when John says, behold the lamb, I'm sure later on he understood more fully what that meant. We understand. We got the end of the story. Behold the lamb, the one who died, a substitutionary atonement for you. Think of the redemptive power that comes from the finished work of Jesus Christ. You and me separated from God without any hope. And through the finished work of Christ, my sin placed on him, his righteousness placed on me. The relationship that was broken between God and man in the Garden of Eden, of Garden of Eden has now been restored because of the finished work of Christ, because of faith alone in Christ alone. God's redemptive work And so as he's saying, behold the lamb, there's still so much more that will happen in Jesus' life, but we understand the fullness of what he meant as he said those things. See, in the Old Testament, the question was always, where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? In the New Testament, he's behold the lamb, or here is the lamb. I can't help but wonder whether John was thinking about um, Abraham and Isaac as he, as he said those words, behold the lamb. In Genesis chapter 22, 7 and 8, it says, And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And we know the story that Abraham was about to sacrifice his son and God provided the lamb. Each one of us deserves to pay for our sin. The wages of sin is death. There's none righteous, no, not one. But God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God provided the lamb. And so the question of the Old Testament, where is the lamb, is answered in the New Testament. And John begins to answer it here. Behold the lamb. Behold the lamb. He goes on, he says, behold the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And not the sins of the world, but the sin of the world. You see, in the Old Testament, the sacrifices had to happen over and over and over again. And every year, sacrifices happened. And when you sinned, sacrifice had to happen because the sacrifice couldn't cover all of your sin. And so it was a picture. And over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of it. What blood of bulls and goats and doves and um, uh, of sheep could not do. The Lord Jesus Christ did in one act. He took away the sin. He covered all of the sin. All of my sin. Not the one or the two or the seven or the 70 or the 70 times seven or the thousands upon thousands, the sin of 
today in our lives. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin so that one day I can stand before God in righteousness because of what he accomplished for me, because of what he did for me. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, and not just of the Jews or just of Israel, of the world. Did John even really understand that as he was penning it? The sin of the world. Hey, the world is in this room. Just look around and see. All over, all over this room, people from all over the world. My sin doesn't deserve to be excused or forgiven or taken away, and yours doesn't. And what the Lord Jesus Christ did, the Lamb of God, he took away the sin of the world. And the door of the gospel has been opened to all of us, and those who believe are saved, and we are made righteous in Jesus Christ because the Lamb took away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The reality is we all need a Savior. You may not think you need a Savior, but when you take hold of the fact that you are separated from God in your sin, and there's nothing you can do to fix it because the requirement of the law was a spotless, perfect sacrifice, you're never matching up to that. You might be an okay person and you might even do a lot of really good stuff and you might have helped a little old lady across the street and you might have given to this cause or this cause or this cause, but none of them begin to deal with the sin that separates us from God. We all need a savior. We need one who took, takes our place, who stands in our behalf, who hangs on the cross and makes the payment for our sin. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John goes on in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Not whoever tries harder or who has more stuff or helps more little old ladies across the street or, or, or gives more to the charities or, no, no. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him. See, we're all so prone and planned to, what can I do to accomplish? What can I do to accomplish? What can I do to accomplish? Christ accomplished your salvation. Christ hung on a cross. Christ died. Christ rose from the dead. We need a savior. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Simple faith in Christ alone. For by grace, for by grace, it's in our text, grace and truth, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. You receive the gift. It's not of works, because if it was of works, we'd be going, look what I did. Look what I accomplished, man. Like, I'm, I'm way better than you. I must be a way better Christian than you are, because, like, look, you're so lame. Because we would boast it's a gift of God. It comes in simple faith in Christ alone. 
We call him Jesus. He is the lamb presented. And in verse 36, he is the lamb that is to be followed. Uh, Look what it says, starting in verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now look at verse 37. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And they followed Jesus. Now this is the very beginning, and there's others who he would call, and they would follow him. And they didn't have a clue what they were in for as they were making their commitment to follow him, but they began by following Jesus. Every one of us who's trusted the Lord Jesus Christ is called to follow Jesus, called to be a disciple, called to be a person who's growing up in the Lord Jesus Christ. What does a follower of Christ look like? What did they sign up for? For the next three and a half years, Jesus would pour into them and pour into them. And even at the end, they didn't really understand. He was saying things like, you destroy this temple and in three days, I will raise it up. And they didn't really fully understand, but they were becoming followers. They were becoming disciples. They were stepping in. And each of us, each of us as followers of Christ are called to follow him. I've been the pastor here for seven years. It's amazing what God has done. Way beyond what we ever could have thought, asked. God has blessed. And my job is to pour into you. And your job is to pour into each other. But you're not followers of me. Even Paul said when he said in the Corinthians, be followers of me, even as I am of Christ, he said. Because it's not about me. It's not about you or your small group. It's about Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so they're being called to be followers. And so these two and then others, the first thing Andrew does is go and find his brother and brings him. And, 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 and now this group is starting to form. And hey, they weren't perfect. One guy, was, one guy denied the Lord. One guy wasn't even really a follower. He's in it for himself. They weren't perfect people. But they were people who started to understand who Jesus was and why he had come, and they became followers. So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Let me give you seven things real quick of what a follower of Jesus Christ looks like. First of all, a follower of Christ, not in the seven, this is the foundational thing, is in Christ, right? Don't try and do stuff thinking that gets you to God. The Lord Jesus Christ took us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and he makes us alive in Christ, and we accept the finished work of Christ. We believe in the Lord, and we are saved. And when that happens, and when you take hold and understand what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you, it's like, man, that was awesome what God did for me. He needs to be the king. He needs to be first. He is on the throne. And as you're growing in that and learning that and seeing that, what does that look like in your life? So here's the seventh thing. The first one is a love for God. More than anyone else or anything else, God gets first place. My wife, as amazing as she is, cannot get first place. My kids, who I love, they cannot get first place. My grandchildren, who I really love, because I get to send them home at the end of the day, They don't get first place. The stuff that I have, it can't get first place. The Lord belongs in first place. 
Uh, the Bible says in uh, Luke 10, 27, and he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. In the Gospels it says, but unless you hate your mother and father, you cannot be my disciple. Uh, Jesus wasn't teaching people to hate their parents. He was teaching them to love God. And when you get the love with God right, when you get that in the right place, the rest of it works itself out. And you love your parents, but you love them because of who God is and what he has done to them. You love your kids because of who God is and what he's accomplishing in them. You, you, the things that you own, the things that you have, you see them through the light of who God is as a disciple of Christ. God first. Okay, 2014, how did you do? How did you do? Was God first? Or do you get relegated so often to another position in our lives? Hey, I'm not saying that to you without taking a look at my own soul and my own heart and my own understanding of the things I need to work at and do better for the glory of God in my own life. God first. Followers of Christ, what's the next thing? Well, you have to love others. Jesus, excuse me, John said in John 13, 34 and 35, quoting Jesus, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. This is the way people will know you are my disciples if you love one another. When you get God on the throne, when you get him in his right place, then the next thing we're called to do is love one another. Lots of people come to our church. Uh, maybe there's somebody who, when they come in the door, you just kind of go, mm. can't they find another church to go to? Mm. Don't they know how much they tick me off? If you knew what my husband was really like, or you knew what my wife was really, you see us when we get to church on Sunday. That's not the way it is at home. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. Why? Because this is the way people will know you're my disciples. When you do the thing that the world doesn't do, people will wonder what is going on in your life. The world is all about climbing over each other to get what we want. The follower of Jesus Christ is to build one another up and spur one another on to love and to good deeds. This is the way people will know you're my disciples, by the way you love one another. Maybe that's why you ended up in church today. You didn't even realize it when you came, and the Lord's already laid that person on your heart, and you're on the, it's 2014, hashtag fail in this area in my life all year long. It's time to deal with it right now while I sit here. I'm going to change. Because that's the people who will know you're my disciples. If you love each other. Here's another one. The followers of the Lamb, the disciples of Christ, are people who obey the word. John said over in John chapter 8 and uh, verse 31 and 32, um, he said this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you abide in my word, 
You are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay, so back on the 2014-2015 thing. um, What has God revealed to you from his word this year? And you've been resistant to it. You know it's what you're supposed to do. God has made it clear. Maybe it's something you're supposed to stop doing, or something you're supposed to do, something you're supposed to give up, something you're supposed to take on. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word. Are you in the word? Are you reading the word? Are you doing it? 2014 is coming to a close. Can't fix what you didn't do before. But you can start fresh right now. Lord, I'm going to deal with that thing. Whatever it is, I'm going to deal with it. Because I'm going to abide in your word. Because you're the lamb who takes away the sin of the world and you're the lamb who I am to follow and I'm going to do what you say to do. As believers, it's our duty. We understand that God's word is given for our own good. There's going to be future blessing that comes to us from it. As we do God's word, the Lord Jesus Christ is shown in us to a world that needs to see a good picture of Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting. The words I wrote down in my notes were this. I wrote down, uh, we need to give God favorable publicity. That is such a terrible way to say what I'm trying to say. But it's really, it kind of gets to the core of it. In our lives, in our obedience, are we demonstrating Christ in a way that he is honored? Or or are we demonstrating uh, Christ that people are like, if that's what God is like, I don't want anything to do with it. See, the offense should be the offense of the gospel, not the offense of me being some kind of an egghead in my own spiritual walk. And I come to Christ and I demonstrate to him and I live out my life and and people look at it and they won't like what they see in Christ in me, but at least it'll be about Christ in me. And so that my life is designed to live out in such a way that people have to deal with who is Jesus in my life. Why do we obey? Because we're children of the king. I'm not some kind of an employee in a company. I'm the son of a king. And I want to live out for his glory. I want his well done, good and faithful servant. One more reason we should obey. Because that's what's going to be in the age to come. It's all going to be about being at his feet and worshiping the Lord and obeying. And it's going to be so amazing for us. Followers of Christ are people who obey. Here's the fourth one. Followers of Christ are people who deny themselves. In other words, forsake what you have. In Matthew 16, 24, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I'm still working this through in my own life because i got a couple more days till the end of the year. But New Year's resolution. Be it resolved. That Paul Whittingstall is going to get over the obsession with himself. That'd be a good one for all of us. I'm going to get over the obsession of myself. 
as God grows me up, as I stumble forward, as I am sanctified in Christ, he must increase. I must decrease. You know, that's pretty hard, Paul. Like, you're a pastor for Pete's sake. Aren't you supposed to be way down the road? Well, I'm somewhere down the road, but I got a long way to go. And my self gets in the way of so many things. And I find I want the things that I want more than I want the things that God wants. Not even in just obviously sinful things, but just, you know what? No, if I had my druthers, I would have it that way. And if I could have my way, I want it that way. And I don't believe God is a killjoy who doesn't give his children amazing gifts. God gives us wonderful and amazing gifts. But let's make our lives about getting over the obsession of I want what I want. It really comes back to the, the whole thing about who's on the throne, who is the king. Um, he says, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Taking up your cross is really determining who's on the throne. I read this little quote this week. It's one line long. It goes like this. Every Christian has a cross and a throne. If you refuse the cross, you remain on the throne. If you refuse the cross, you remain on the throne. Let a man deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Counting the cost is part of discipleship. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he's enough to complete it? The cost of discipleship It's going to cost you something. And I'm willing to give those things up because of all that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm willing to set aside the world and what it offers because I'm not of this world. More and more, Lord, help me to set aside the things. And if if stuff has me, then help me get rid of that stuff. I'm going to set aside, I'm going to count the cost about what my sin might cost and the way I cherish it, and I'm going to let it go. I'm going to sacrifice my plans, here's one, for your plans, Lord. I may not even really understand what they are, but whatever it is, Lord, I'm going to set aside. And with your help, God, I'm going to, I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to watch what you do. Count the cost. Walk by faith. But we walk by faith, not by sight. Here's a great question at the end of 2014. Where can you see in your life this year that you walked by faith? In other words, what is there in your life in 2014? The only way you can explain it is God did it. The only way I can explain it. There's no other. It doesn't make any sense any other way. That was a God did it thing. That was a God did it thing. Um, I got an email a couple weeks ago from a lady who comes to our church and uh, she's a believer, but she was listening to the message and she, she sends me an email. She goes, I, I finally got it. I get it. I get it. And it was a thing that she had to learn in her life that she had to let go of and trust the Lord. And she thought, I get it. This is what God will do. This is how he will work. Is there anything in your life that's happened this year? And you can go back and without a doubt, you're like, the Lord did that. I pray that lots of times before a service. Lord, do in this place what only you can do. So that when we leave this place, we won't be saying, well, that was kind of cool. We will say, look what the Lord has done. 
Uh, maybe it was a brokenness in you over something and God brought you to that place that you would have never gone to on your own. You were just happy to be living along and you were broken and God did it. Uh, we had a, a, a baby dedication in the nine o'clock service, um, the uh, Kongs. Um, they adopted a child from, um, from China, um, Hannah Faith. And uh, they were talking about in January 2013 and praying about this and wondering, should they do it? And did they have the faith? And it happened to be that week I was preaching on Romans chapter four and about faith. And that was such a confirmation for them of what they had been praying for. And then the timeline was to come and they were supposed to go next month to go and and get Hannah over in China. And all the pieces came together for them and they were called and they went in October and things happened that just never would dreamt would have happened the way they did. You better believe they're walking around with that little girl in their arms in our church going, look what the Lord has done. We walk by faith. You're like, my life is tough right now. I'm not sure. Are, Are you trusting the Lord? Are you spending more time trying to accomplish the things you need to accomplish and not enough time praying to God for the things that need to be accomplished in your life? The last one is that we need to demonstrate fruitfulness. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That people would see your fruitfulness Uh, Maybe it's the fruit of righteousness that's in you. Maybe it's the fruit of evangelism as you are faithful to live out and share the good news, proclaiming the authority of God's word, but do it in a way that people would understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. Or maybe it's the fruit of the spirit that grows up in you. It's, it's what God is doing. That's not something you do. It's something God does in you. But as you are following Christ... What's the fruit look like? What did it look like in 2014? And what will it look like as we move into a brand new year? Around here we talk about, we talk about worship, walk, and work as the three W's of discipleship. That we'd be people who are learning to worship God more. We talk about it in the context of coming together like this for corporate worship together, but worship is so much more. And how is worship growing in your life? Are, are, you a, are you a more fulfilled, a more growing worshiper of God at the end of 2014 than you were at the beginning of it? And Lord, what are you committing to as, as you go into 2015? And are we people who walk with Christ? We talk about that in the context of being in small groups and doing life together in the church. But in your walk with Christ, can people look at it and see, that's an example of Jesus Christ that I would like to follow. In your work for Christ, where are you serving? What are you involved in serving the one who served you by giving his life? Well, so what? So what? It's the end of 2014. It's time to take stock. Behold the lamb. And they followed him. As you're here today, do you need to deal with some stuff? Because 2014, you're not left in a place that you're really thrilled with the way that you've been before the Lord. Then deal with that today. The coolest thing about the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the God of the second and the fifth and the 200th and the 1,000th and the 10,000th chance. 
and we leave from here clean and right and forgiven and a new start. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we leave from here with a passion and a heart and a desire that other people would know the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And we call him Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Hey, church, a great message for us to consider. Consider where we're at. Consider where we've been. Consider what we'll do with the Lord Jesus Christ today and to move forward in a great confidence. Because you're going to go outside of those doors and the people outside of those doors, they have no hope. And we have the hope. We have the hope of sin forgiven. We have the hope of a righteous Lord Jesus Christ who makes intercession on our behalf before Almighty God. And we've got the best news for a world that needs a savior. We need to go from here with a renewed heart and a renewed passion to live out for the fame of the name of our savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord. And he can't be the best kept secret in your life. He needs to be the message of who we are living out for him. We call him Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for these verses. Jesus, Christ, grace and truth. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The one who we are to follow. Why, Lord? Because our hope is not in ourselves. It's not in what we do. It's not in what we've, it's on who you are and what you've done. And we give you all the glory, God, for that. And now, Lord, we have a responsibility to go, to serve, to be faithful. Because, Lord, we don't want to keep the news we've got bottled up in our Bible or bottled up in our head. We want the world to know that we have a Savior. And we call him Jesus Christ the Lord. We pray these things in his name.